his great law. They'd built the city of Jerusalem and the temple, and God had come to dwell with them in the temple. But the people had uh, rejected God and abandoned him, and so they'd lost the land, they'd lost the city, they'd lost the temple, and the people had been carried off as slaves to Babylon. And all that was left for God's people to hang on to were the great promises going all the way back to Abraham. By the time of Haggai, the people had got back to the promised land to rebuild the devastated city and the devastated temple. But it was really, really hard work. And the people were losing hope. So we're going to have a little look at this passage and see how it might speak to our situation. Can you get verse 6 up on for me? Let's give you some exercise. Let's read this together, shall we? Verse 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know I am. And if you are like me, you'll want a secure, comfortable, fun, moderately but not too challenging, relatively easy life, which is quite fulfilling as well. Anyone want that? Yeah? Want to feel secure? You want to feel comfortable? Want to have fun? Want to be fulfilled? Want life to be reasonably easy to deal with? If you like that, this verse, I'm afraid, is not terribly encouraging. God is committed to shaking everything up. And in the last few years, we've known some shaking, haven't we? We've had a COVID pandemic. We've had a cost of living crisis. We've had a war in Ukraine. We've had political turmoil. And we have just had the death of one of our finest leaders in this country, Her Majesty the Queen. Good news. God does not want us to be miserable. Amen? Amen. Amen. God doesn't want us to be miserable. But... We live in a world system that has completely rejected God. The one who gives us peace and love and joy and everything else. And so if we're going to find the full life that Jesus has come to bring us, then we have to get free of our sin, of our rejection of God. And so God has to shake us loose our attachments, of our systems of control, of our crazy idols, our God substitutes that we put our hope in, of money, of power, of fame, of romance. Now for Haggai, the people were being shaken free from putting their security in their nation, in their city, in their religious system, and in their misunderstanding of God's promises. And so their security had to be moved from their politics and from their religious institutions onto the word of God. Friends, as we worship here this morning, we think back, as we saw in the history video yesterday, there were three churches that stood on this corner 
that seated 2,500 people on a Sunday morning. We are the only one left. Our first commitment must be to God and to listen and obey his word. Because any other source of security is going to deceive us. Yeah? Yeah. Let's go on and have a look at verse 7. Let's read this one together. I will shake all the nations, and the desired of all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. So in this verse, I see three promises, three sure anchors, three places of true reality rooted in the creator of all things. That's pretty good, isn't it? Let's go digging. Promise number one, God will shake the world. Hmm. As we've said, God is not committed to us having a quiet, easy life. He's committed to shaking his world free from sin and evil and death. Is that a good thing? Yeah. Or is that a bad thing? It's a challenge. Hmm. Thumbs up for a good thing, thumbs down for a bad thing. It's thumbs sideways, I really don't want to commit either way. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Promise two. God's shaking has a purpose to bring people from all nations to himself. God's people had received amazing promises. They'd been promised all the richness of God's blessing. But there was a problem. They wanted to keep that blessing from themselves. They didn't want grubby outsiders getting their fingers on it. But God's blessing to them was in fact to be a blessing to the whole world. They were supposed to be the channel of God's blessing, not hoard the blessing for themselves. And so they had to be shaken because they'd forgotten their calling to be God's agent to bless all the nations. Promise three. This is amazing. God promises to fill his household with glory. Wow. If we put our trust in political systems or religious institutions, then we will always forget and misunderstand what God means by glory. Yeah? We think God's glory means wealth or power or influence. But God tells us what he means by glory in Ephesians 3. His intent was that now, get this, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Wow. That is an extraordinary verse. God means to show off 
all of his wisdom and brilliance to all of heaven through us. Oh my goodness. That's not our great buildings. That's not our impressive conferences. That's not our moving worship bands accompanied by the hammering on the fence. It's not our popular books. That's us. God's family, transformed by trusting his word and obeying it in his power, so that our hearts and our minds begin to reflect the one who saved us, the Lord Jesus Christ. If God can pull that off through us, that is going to say something rather incredible, not about us, but about him, isn't it? Amen. God means to utterly transform our lives so that we reflect him. Oh my goodness, we need some more promises. Verse 8, please. Let's read this together. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Ah, God has all the resources. Amen? God has all the resources. How we need to know this? You remember a few years ago, we were in a terrible trap with our building. We had this huge space next door that was falling down that we couldn't use and we couldn't afford to repair. This site had its challenges as well. And now we find ourselves thanking God that next door has been brought back into profitable use and we have this great new space to worship in and to serve Christ's mission. Amen? There is a large, unresolved financial deficit on this building. But God is going to bring us through it. Amen? Surely we didn't think we would get something so dramatic without some significant stretch of faith somewhere in the process. Friends, the challenges of fixing this building are nothing compared with the challenges of reaching this town for Jesus. That's the really hard thing. That's the thing we really need to have faith for. And that's the reason why we have this amazing new space to worship in. It's a huge challenge, but the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. I think we need more promises. Verse 9, let's read this one. I'm just going to read the first half of this one. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the older of you will remember that the glory of the building next door was more impressive than this room, yes? yes. Next door was a bigger space, it was, it was impressive, it was imposing. As I said earlier, the churches on the corner here could see 2,500 worshippers on a Sunday morning. Ministry was easy. Most people believed in God. Most people knew something at least about the gospel. Most people weren't endlessly distracted by the media. This church, or this corner now has one church that seats, if we absolutely ran it the rafters, about 200. Ministry is really hard. This church has been through five decades, in my reckoning, of shaking. And it continues. And yet, 
We have people here this morning from so many different nations coming together to worship Jesus. And we have people come here to learn and to experience the reality of God's love and God's power and God's grace so that they begin to shine, so that they begin to look more and more like Jesus. God's amazing. This is happening. We're being shaken. And the desired of all nations are coming. And God's house is being filled with glory. Let's look at the last sentence. Let's read that together. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The word here in Hebrew is shalom. And it's normally translated as peace. But if you're Jewish, it's got a huge range of meetings. So you meet someone on the street and you say hi, you say shalom. And then at the other end, you've got the idea of wholeness. So imagine I take a mug and I drop it on the ground and it smashes into a thousand pieces. If I glue all of those thousand pieces back together again, that isn't shalom. But if I get the mug back as it was originally before it was broken, that is shalom. That is wholeness. God created us to reflect him. Let me just say that again because that's so extraordinary. God created us to reflect him, to bear his image. But of course we rejected God, we sinned, Came enslaved to sin and evil and death. But God's love for us never wavered, never faltered, never failed. And he came to us in the person of Jesus. And he died on the cross to take away our sin. And he rose from the grave to defeat sin and evil and death. And he's going to come again. And he will raise us from the dead and he will throw sin and evil and death and injustice out of his world and he will make all things new God means to make us whole not glued together like a broken mug but made whole and new as if we were never broken in the first place Christ has died Christ is risen, Christ will come again. I don't think I've said that before. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. That's our passage. What does it want to say to us on our relaunch weekend? So I want to mention three things. Shaking, community, and wholeness. Shaking, community, and wholeness. First one, shaking. Why... Did God have to shake Israel so hard? Why is God shaking us and the nation so hard? Because we're incredibly thick and stubborn. Yeah? We cling so hard onto those things that we choose as God replacements. But there is no life, there is no love, there is no peace in idolatry. And our idols can be so subtle, can't they? We can cling on to things that we think are good things, and in fact they're bad. To Israel, I'm sure that the land 
and the temple and their observance of the law looked like what God had promised to them. And yet somehow they became idols, they became substitutes for the reality of God himself. Friends, our nation is not Christian. Our church is not Christian. It's us, each one of us, and each one of us together in community who are called to follow Jesus. Are we trusting in our own resources? Are we trusting in our own institutions? Or are we trusting in our creator God, the one who gives us life and breath and everything else? We are called to be a people of faith who depend confidently on him and his word. You remember the Israelites shaken out of the land, losing the temple, losing the priesthood and the sacrificial services. Let me try that one again. The sacrificial system. All they had left was the promises of God. That was the point. That's what we've got to get to, where our confidence is not in ourselves, it's not in our leaders, it's not in our churches, it's not in our denominations, it's not in our politicians. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what has been promised to us in God's word. Secondly, community. You would need to be a blind hedgehog in a bag not to notice, both from scripture and from our experience, that God is calling us to be a multi-ethnic, multi-generational community of worshippers, yeah? I mean, it's just so blindingly obvious. We've been saying it, the more we say it, the more it happens, the more it happens, the more we say it. That is what God's calling is to us. Israel's great mistake was to hoard God's blessing for themselves rather than be a blessing to the world around them. I beg us not to make that same mistake. It's so easy to do because we want that comfortable life. We want that easy life. We want that sense of fun and fulfilment. We don't want to be on the edge. We don't want to be trying to engage kind of cold and indifferent community with the love of God. We want to be getting on with our own lives and developing our careers and having a nice house to live in and building a family and all these things. None of them are wrong, but if they push Jesus out from his central place, they set us on a road to death. I long for this community to be a place where all sorts of different people can come and be and find welcome and belonging and hope. And if they're willing to find Jesus as well. But we have to take people as we find them. Everyone's at a different place on their journey. We can't just push them through the sausage factory. Now you're going to get the message. We have to love them. And then they will know the gospel that we then explain to them because they will have experienced it. I long for this space to become a living room for the community. I'd rather the community came in through the front door rather than breaking their way in through the window as they did yesterday. But however, we want this place to be a blessing, a place where people can come. Because Jesus said, by your love for one another will all men know that you are my disciples. And that cannot happen if our community is hidden away behind closed doors on a Sunday morning. We have to reach out. We have to find ways to welcome people in. And we have to take people as we find them. If this is to be a true church, it must be a spring of love, a spring of living water flowing out into Gateshead. And I pray, 
as I used to talk about for all the COVID craziness, I pray that it would flow out and bring refreshing and renewal and church planting up and down the Tyne and the Derwent Valleys. The silver is the gold. The gold, the silver is God's and the gold is God's. Last one, wholeness. God is preparing a new people for a new creation. That's why you're here this morning. You're here to get prepared for the new reality that is going to come into being when Jesus comes back again. He intends that through his death and his resurrection, our lives should be transformed through his word and through his spirit. Church is in the business of transforming lives. And if that doesn't happen, you haven't got a church. You've just got a collection of people and some religious commodities. Someone once said, it's not that the church of God has a mission. It's that the mission of God has a church. Yeah? It's not the church of God has a mission. It's the mission of God has a church. In other words, we're not called to kind of try and help God out a little bit. God has got us and is intending to use us in his purposes. God has chosen the church to pour out his blessings on the world through the gospel transforming lives. So, that's our challenge. Our calling is to become like Christ so that the spirit of Christ can carry forth the mission of Christ through the body of Christ, yeah? The spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, carrying forth the mission of Christ through the body of Christ. In other words, Christ reaching the world with his love and with his hope and with his gospel through us. Hallelujah. You fancy a bit of that? You want to see God rescuing people from being lost and dying and hopeless to being filled with life and power and joy through the Spirit and the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these extraordinary verses and for what they tell us about your extraordinary intention and purpose for us, your people. How we need your help. We give ourselves afresh to you this morning. We lay our lives on the altar. We lay this wonderful new space you've given us on the altar. It's all yours. Use this and use us as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.